Welcome, 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 ladies, gentlemen, and everybody inside and outside of the gender spectrum, as my friend Alex likes to say. This is Victory Through Guts, episode 20, all grown up. I think that was the WrestleMania catchphrase for, for 20. I don't know if it was 20 or 21, but um, Victory Through Guts 20, that's huge. We, we've done it this 20 times. Um, we haven't murdered each other, and we do. We, we talk even more than just this. Um, I'm surprised that we, we haven't, I haven't flown out to Ireland and just, you know, can't make that joke. Never mind. Um, <laughs> Alex, you're here. Hi. Um, I was going to say, it wasn't WrestleMania 20 uh, where it all begins again, because they did it at, like, Madison Square oh, Garden or some shit. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, 21 was all grown up. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Or maybe 22. I don't know. I was gonna make a bloody Sunday joke anyway. So did, oh oh yeah. wow you were <laughs> you were gonna that's, go there. That's why I was like I was like I can't I can't just say that like it's nothing, <laughs> but I had to make sure that you knew that was the joke I was gonna say. Oh man, yeah I, that's why I mean I'm a bad person. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean listen, once you're not British, it's okay. I mean yeah, I'm I'm Irish. Uh, none of my ancestors died in Bloody Sunday though, so. Well, I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't matter. I just, it's, it's, it was a thing. Um, Finn Bauer, big fan of Bloody Sunday. Uh, but anyway, um, yeah, we're talking about WrestleMania Piad uh, this time around. WrestleMania Piad 1991. Uh, it was a show. Um, more, more interestingly, in my opinion, we also are talking about a documentary episode from a French um you know tv show about different cultures around the world we're talking about that uh we got subtitled on youtube and on google drive and all that shit so we watched that i think that was a bit more interesting um and it sort of surrounds wrestling pia that's where it climaxes but uh we'll get into that later we'll get into the actual show first um because yeah i don't know how much you have from this i have like a decent amount of notes but like in actuality there isn't a ton to like just jump into in my opinion yeah, like we we could fluff a lot of it, but then like of actual substance, I didn't really feel like there was too much, uh, especially since the first two matches weren't on the uh, the airing that I had. So yeah, they weren't on any airing actually. Yeah, so like we only had three technically four matches to work with, and you know. Yeah, it, it's definitely a contrast to the year prior, where WrestleMania PA was like genuinely probably the best show we'd watched that year. Yeah, it was really really good. Um, from top to bottom, it had a lot of it. It's like this feels like a regression because like the 1990 uh, WrestleMania PA felt like that like big show feel, you know, like Paul White style. No, um, like that like '93 type feel where it's like they had the ceremony at the jump. Um, there was like a big you know, uh thing that happened there where Yamato wanted to wrestle but she wasn't cleared and so Kyoko and Minami Toyota had to wrestle together and it was like they had to tag together like there was that whole like schmaz at the beginning and the entire show just felt like a fledged out like super show in a way and this felt like a show that Bon Nakano was on uh and that was it like that was and even in the documentary that's sort of how they built it <laughs> was it is a show that Bon Nakano was main eventing and it's like I guess that's enough but at the same time from a, a hindsight point of view it was kind of lackluster in a way. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, there was better big shows this year. I mean, there was the one with uh, Jungle Jack versus Toyota and Moreno, and I think that entire show was better than this by uh, a long way. Um, yeah. Like, uh, the AJW is definitely 
lost a bit of their quality as the year goes on. Um, but I mean, let's not say that anything's bad. I think they're still doing good things. They just are maybe not using all of their wrestlers to the best of their abilities just yet. Yeah, I, I, I think I agree with that statement, but uh, we can get into the show. Uh, like Alex said, the first two matches were not recorded. Bat Yoshinaga and um, Tomoko Watanabe, uh, the, the, the words, and Tomoko Watanabe defeated Kiro Ito and Mira Kamea. Um, and also, Atsuka Mita, Saki Asagawa, and Suzuka Minami defeated Mariko Yoshida, Mima Shimoda, and Yumika Hoda. There's a couple matches that happened. We didn't get to see them, unfortunately, but they were on the card. Even if we did get to see them, I still feel like from top to bottom, this was like very like a strange for their big show I've, a big part of that is that it's in a smaller arena than it was the year prior it has smaller attendance i believe i think this one reached 3000 i feel like wrestlemania pad 90 um was a bit bigger i did not write it down let me check i did not i can't even spell wrestlemania pad yeah so the year prior uh they had double the attendance. That was the difference. Is that at Yokohama Bunka, they had 6,300, whereas this one only had around 3,000. So the atmosphere was different. It felt smaller. Um, and overall, it was just definitely a um, not as big of a big show, I guess you could call it, um, in terms of what AJW usually does. Um, but let's, let's get into the actual action that we got to see. First match that we saw was the AJW title match. It was Takako Inoue um, versus Debbie Malenko. Um, Debbie Malenko. I, I keep thinking about the, the documentary where they said, because Debbie lost, she doesn't get paid. <laughs> and I was like, I don't think that's how wrestling actually works. But yeah. if it does, that's kind of fucked up. <laughs> that, like oh man that that like they 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 sold that part real hard in the doc um yeah but yeah those documentary makers got worked the the documentary oh, guy got worked big time it's so funny it yeah especially they were really focusing on the hair bit which was very yeah. like and i'm cool with i think that like yeah obviously nowadays it isn't as uh huge but at that point it was a pretty big deal for you know uh women to cut their hair especially bison because she had very long beautiful hair but like asha she she was already like she had short hair like she had shorter hair than i do currently um so like that wasn't like i don't know they really sold that as like a true embarrassment and i was like okay but we'll, we'll get into that later the match was kako noi and Devin malenko um I don't actually remember this one that well. I feel like it was like a, a match that the crowd wasn't particularly into. They did a lot of good stuff. Like Debbie definitely fits in with the uh, with the AJW style, and I think she definitely acclimated herself um, here and going forward. She did even better. Um, but yeah, this is just this was Takako's third def defense, um, and yeah, that that not a ton to it. Yeah, it was very grounded, very methodical, like very realistic. Um, I definitely just felt a bit weird, uh, given that, you know, Debbie Malenko is known for, like, these, like, really hot tag matches, and Takako, in a way, is obviously more associated with, uh, dropping people on their skulls. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know, I, th I thought it was good for what it was, but I definitely think it was a bit too just grounded and slow-paced, uh, to kick off a show like this, I guess, for us. Uh, maybe had we seen one of the hectic, I, I assume hectic, uh, undercard matches, it would have flowed a bit better. But like, 
as far as an opener goes, I don't really... It wasn't fun seeing, like, such a slow pace, like, working the leg kind of match. Yeah, and it, it felt like the crowd definitely didn't help it. The crowd was very um, not particularly into it, I would say. Like, near the end, it started getting a bit of energy, but Takako ended up just um, beating Debbie with the Aurora special. Um, like you said, not a lot to it. This was Takako's third defense, like I said, um, and it was actually Debbie's second title match in AJW, one that we didn't get to cover, and a kind of important one going forward uh, was against Kyoko Inoue, who Kyoko won the IWA title in August. It was vacated before that, and so so the IWA title is now in contention it's, it's it was reintroduced in august and we just like we knew but like i i did not realize that already happened because there was no like they didn't even fucking mention it so iwa title um comes back you know a bit more than i do about that specific title because uh, you've watched more of the um lower card ajw matches over the next couple of years what do you what do you feel the iwa title coming back means to ajw um I do want to. I do want to say that it's important, but I I don't really think it is until they like unify the three of them uh, later on down the line when Kyoko I think wins holds all three at the same time. I think you kind of see it pop up in like the occasional work rate match uh, when in AJWs, hey, we're just throwing shit at the wall. But here's cool matches, uh, that kind of era. But I I don't think it's gonna be like a super important belt for right now but in saying that like most of my viewing of this era comes from ajw classic so that might have just completely cut out a lot of that stuff but i i don't think the belt itself is important for a little bit okay fair enough it's it's strange that they have so many fucking belts and they just keep introducing more like and like three or four of them do just have the exact same use pretty much like the junior belt and the ajw title are like maybe like two degrees separate like obviously the junior belt is for like the true juniors but like wasn't takako fighting for that belt like literally a year ago less than maybe like it's it's kind of wild um but yes it, uh, takako retained the ajw title um and the iwa title got reintroduced kyoko is currently holding it at this time um but that is not really relevant for this show um so we should just move on into the semi-main event um, because like we said, there was nothing on this show. Kyoko Noah and Toshio Yamada took on Akira Hokuto and Minami Toyota. Um, a split match. Uh, Kyoko and Akira Hokuto were both obviously Bulls, um, henchmen in a way, and Yamada and Toyota obviously members of Sekigun. Um, Kyoko and Yamada come out with sombreros. Yamada has face paint on. They're really feeling it, and Hokuto is just like, yeah, I guess I gotta wrestle with Sekigun again. That that's that that's where we're at now um besides the actual meat of the match because there's a lot to talk about there how do you feel about um them putting these four together on this show um given that you know all of the things that are going on japan uh, not japan grand prix the uh tag league the best is going on hokuto and toyota are both sort of like on their way up as singles wrestlers how, how did you feel about them putting this all together um for a 31 minute match i guess it's kind of just how I mean, you needed some kind of secondary match to, to pull in viewers. And I think one like this where, you know, you have four of their current 
top stars in a loaded tag match, especially with Kyoko and Toshio Yamada just coming back from Mexico. Um, it obviously made it an exciting addition to the card. So I guess it was just a good way to, to fill out the card beyond the main event, given that you know the main event had the 3WA belt, the 3WA tag belts, and the All-Pacific belt tied up there. Um, so this is really your only way to get a second big match on the card to me. Yeah, I think that's a, a fair analysis. Um, the the entrances are pretty elaborate for um, Kyoko and Yamada. Kyoko gets carried to the ring on the shoulders of Gokumanto members, um, which is kind of normal. They, they've carried Bull to the ring back when Aja was in Gokumanto. They did that, and like that was just like a normal thing. But Yamada made Sekigun carry her on her shoulders, and you could see the faces of the members of Sekigun. It's like, why the fuck do we got it? Like, we never do this. This isn't what we do. Why the fuck are you making us do this? This sucks. And it was, it was kind of funny to me. Um, and then, yeah, they they wrestle for, for a very, very long time. Um, I'm not going to say there wasn't any good stuff to it. I actually enjoyed this match more than I expected to, um, because when you look at a match that is uh, 31 minutes, 32 minutes long, um, it 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 was fine. I mean, it didn't progress properly, in my opinion. It felt like it didn't it didn't never leave first gear. It definitely left first gear like from the jump, but it felt like it never left the second gear. If that makes sense, um, where it kind of was just sort of at a certain pace for like twenty five minutes, and then it amped up for three minutes, and then it was over. You know, what I mean, like that, that's how it felt um, for me at least. I I thought. There was good stuff. There were some good spots, but that was my overall takeaway from the match. Um, I don't know about you. Yeah, so I think there were good bits, and then they would follow those good bits up with sitting in a submission for a while, and or doing like medial tag work. It really just didn't flow at all, and they never really moved beyond. Hey, we're just doing shit to do shit. And they didn't even fully embrace the doing shit. You know, they didn't go all out crazy balls to the wall like I know they can. Um, they mostly just would like do random flashes and then back into rest holes and stuff like that. So it definitely didn't flow very well. And it definitely felt a lot longer than the 31 minute runtime. Um, but I, there were some good parts, I thought, like Akira Hokuto and Toshi Yamada, especially anything they did was was a real highlight there. There, yeah, and I, I thought they did some good bits, but a lot of it was, was you know, Toshi Yamada or, or Hokuto just, like, committing crimes on somebody, so. Yeah, early Hokuto matches kind of had that issue quite frequently, um, but... Also, she was still uh, incredible. So, like, it was always hard to, like, judge some of her matches because they would have, like, 15 minutes of just, like, super standard and boring, just, like, you know, grinding. And then, like, 10 minutes of, like, the best wrestling you you saw on the entire card. It's like, how do I feel about this particularly? Um, And I think that was kind of the case here. Um, I I, One part of this that was very, like... uh, I am not a tag rules person. I think tag rules are stupid. I understand why they exist, but like, I think that the whole revival thing where it's like, oh, they should be enforced to the... I don't really care that much. I just don't. But this match made me think maybe maybe a little bit. Because at one point, Kyoko got beat the shit out of 
like she got dived on she got fucking hit with like a bunch of tag team moves she was just out cold in the middle of the ring and yamada just walks in drags her to the outside of the ring and just is the legal person now. <laughs> and I'm just like, that feels like that isn't how it works. Like, at all. I mean, I'm cool with it, but I was so confused. But that was even impacted on later on when the ref gets more strict and says, no, you are not allowed in the ring, period. You must stay out. And I was like, but what? Just it was so inconsistent. It was really hilarious to me. Um, and I loved it. I, I loved that aspect of it. I thought it was just funny. Um, Yamada ended up getting dropped on her head, as you would expect. Um, I did not stay why on my notes, but she did get dropped on her head. So that happened for sure. Um, and yeah, I thought. I'm, I'm, I'm done. I think I'm done. Molly, what, what's the problem? Come on, come sit down. Good girl. So I liked the last few minutes of it. I thought it was fun. Um, I liked the finish as well. Um, Hokuto and Toyota hit like the uh, meeting in the middle drop kicks. Um, and then who went for the moonsault? Oh, they went for double moonsaults. Um, and then Toyota got kicked out of the ring. Um, and then, oh, that was the fit. I'm fucking all over the place. I apologize. Um, yeah, then Kyoko and Yamada hit a powerbomb Gamagiri combo after 32 minutes of wrestling, and they win the match. Uh, like I said, I liked the finish. It was fun. I, I really liked the powerbomb Gamagiri. I'm trying to remember the difference between an Enziguri and a Gamagiri. It's it's very difficult. Uh, but yeah, I thought it was fun near the end, but Gaman overall is it was... Cooler. Exactly. And it's it's to the fucking face. That's the difference. Is mm-hmm. Enzu is like, it's you know, you hook your leg around the head. Um, whereas Gaman, you just kick him in the face. It's great. Um, and Kawada does it, so obviously it's better. And yeah, it was a match that I think people would like. I think some people, if they're cool with 32 minutes of wrestling and they're cool with a little bit of grind work, they would enjoy it. Um, but also, I understand why people would hate it. Um, I'm somewhere in the middle. I thought that the good parts were definitely good, and I didn't hate watching it. But it was not necessarily a match for me personally. Yeah, I thought it was interesting though that um the finish, uh, Hokuto took the pin to to Kyoko in a way, and I know Hokuto kind of took the two finishers at once kind of deal. But I thought it was surprising that she was the one who who took the loss. Um, Obviously, she's more experienced than the other crew, so her losing to them at all is a bit of a surprising result, but especially since I thought she was in line for a bit of a a bigger push in the near future as far as, like, our current timeline on the watch through goes. Um, I don't know if, like, that was meant to be the finish because it feels like she got her shoulder up and was maybe waiting for Toyota to break it up, and Toyota didn't because I think she was hurt. Um, so I, I don't know. I just thought it was interesting to me that um, that Kira Okuto was the one to to take the pin in this one. Yeah, I agree. And also, yeah, within like a year, it feels like Okuto does a lot more than uh, 
than Toyota does, even though Toyota in her own, you know, realm does her shit and, you know, progresses accordingly. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was definitely, it was definitely a decision. Um, yeah, Toyota just got kind of kicked out of the ring and never came back in. So I don't know if they were going to go longer than 32, but I can see where you could sort of have that thinking that they might've um, gone a bit longer though. I, I, I think hopefully not. Because that finish is very, very cool, in my opinion. More people gotta do power bomb combos. I'm gonna say it. Fucking love that shit. Like the and like just like I remember when I was younger on efeds, uh, when I would have a tag team, my finish would be somebody doing a power bomb, and then somebody doing the mushroom stomp on the on the person getting the power bomb and just breaking them. Like fucking, cause you know how the mushroom stomp it, it like really emphasizes on like the chest and head. Well, a power bomb, if you do it in combo, you just break their neck. And I think that's cool. Um, so I think more people should do that, in my humble, humble opinion. I agree. Thank you. Um, and now on to the main event kind of asterisk. Um, there's technically a match after it, but it kind of just bleeds into each other. So it's it's pretty much just one whole thing um it yeah, is i think it was one match um i know cage matches yeah. are the two um and i guess it i mean was. technically it is kind of like two but like it's it's the one set thing um because I... eliminated by the same process yeah that's that's what i'm thinking i'm trying to figure out like was it always for the belt was it for the belt at all? Like, yes. that's... Yeah, I, th I think it was always for the three-way belt. And the idea is that the winning team would then face off and the last woman standing as the three-way champ. That makes sense, yes. It was... I don't know, man. <laughs> it was it was kind of messy. All around, it was, it was a mess. The match itself was a steel cage Texas death match. It's a mouthful. Uh, Monster Ripper and Bonacano take on Jungle Jack, which is Bison Kimura and Aja Kong. Before this, Jungle Jack also had to do a performance at intermission. We didn't get to see it on this, but they told us on the on the uh, documentary it looked pretty dope. Um, I actually love I love the Jungle Jack. Performance. The song was good too. Yeah, I, I love those motherfuckers. Like they are so like you wouldn't expect it from Aja Kong and Bison Kimura, but they have like the most like energetic and just fun performances i wish we got to see more performances they're kind of hard to find um because most you know the intermissions weren't always recorded and they obviously weren't on hw classics um so you know it's very rare that we actually get to see some of these performances but man i adored so many of the performances back in the day they were so fun to watch uh they used them a lot in the documentary that we'll get into uh as like they would have somebody singing like and doing the performance and they have like a montage of what's going on in the show and it's, it was really fun um but into the match itself um monster ripper says there will only be one winner in this match and it's going to be her who is the real world's champion um for those who are confused by this she was the wwc women's champion um if you're not aware wwc is the biggest promotion in puerto rico um and yeah she she was holding the belt but every every source that I can find says that either she lost that belt like yeah. a week <laughs> prior, that. Yeah. or at least like a couple days later. So she was not like she was not an undisputed champion. I'm pretty sure she was not champion <laughs> at this point, and they were just like, uh, just just uh, just take the belt, I guess. I don't know. 
Yeah, it's it's kind of weird because um, I, I'm pretty sure she lost to somebody called Sasha in <laughs> in in October. Um, but she she brought two belts with her anyway, and one of them was probably in Canada because I know she was booked a lot in Canada around that time. It was probably I don't know Stampede or whatever. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm like ninety percent sure every place I have seen too said that she she lost the the WWC belt anyway to uh somebody called Sasha. Yeah. Um. So, Monster Ripper might be a liar. Who knows? Just, I mean, listen, you know. she she's a worker. Cool. I would not be surprised. Yeah. She's real famous. I don't know if you know about that. She's real famous worldwide. <laughs> you should know who it's, she is. It's so bad because I love Monster Ripper. I think she's like, I, th I think very highly of her. But then every every time I see her, I'm like, man, she's making the difficult on me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sometimes it's it's not always the the easiest. Uh and yeah, uh the match itself was very very unclear from the jump. So there were tag rules <laughs> in this Texas State cage match steel cage. Like it, there were tag rules, Alex. They had to tag in only for like the first like 5 10 minutes. After that they just kind of did whatever the fuck they wanted. But they had to tag in. Yeah. Why? That's so like I don't why do tag like maybe it's because i'm like a like i grew up with wwe obviously and the cages in wwe don't really have room to do the tag thing but whenever i see like tags in a steel cage it just looks wrong like they're supposed to be tornado it does not make sense to me whatsoever see, i think it's because of the elimination element that maybe like it plays into the strategy or something yeah, but it never played into the strategy whatsoever. Well, kind of, because, I mean, Monster Ripper was like, I'm not getting in the ring. And I was like, yeah, I wouldn't either, because if you are eliminated, you, you can't win the belt. Yeah, I... but wait, but no, Bison, I'm pretty sure Aja Kong was not legal when she ate shit and died. <laughs> to be fair, like, she was bleeding from her inside. She was shoot injured. So. Yeah, she was she was shoot injured. Yeah, um, but you know, technically, with the glasses, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, it, it it was just weird. Um, but yeah, going into the match, a uh, cage match said it was a 45 minute draw and then a 30 minute match, and I was very confused. Cause I was like, "There's only like 40 minutes left on this show. Like the DVD is gonna run out. I don't know what to expect here." Um, over time, I sort of realized that it's like, "Oh, so it's an elimination match, and this is how it's gonna go." And then Ripper and Bice and Boar are gonna have to wrestle and all that shit. Um, and yeah, you know, nowadays it's so you know done to death uh, that it's it's nauseating. But this match was a can they coexist match between Ripper and Bull, and I thought they did very well um, relatively with it. I thought, like you said, there was this element of like um psychology where it's like ripper was like nah i'm not gonna help you you just do your own thing and then she would come in with a chain and be like yeah i'm beating the shit out of him and then she'd go back and she'd be like yeah that's that's all you but like it was very smartly done and but not done to death if that makes sense as we've seen over the past few years yeah no it was she picked her spots pretty well which is good because by this stage you know monster ripper had a lot of wear and tear on her so yeah, totally. Um, this this match did have less plunder than like the match the year prior, which kind of sucks. I felt like the match the year prior was very specifically great because they had 
uh, Jungle Jack and Gokumon Toe just throwing shit in the ring the entire time and like fighting on the outside. That was like probably one of my favorite cage matches of all time was uh, that the the one at WrestleMania Piad. It was so fun. The the one the year prior. I mean, it was so fun. They just really were like constantly going at it. And obviously, Bull is the queen of the de- of the cage match, so she she kills it as always. Um, uh, right around the 15 minute call, obviously there was a bunch of like schmazing and just you know beating each other up with shit. Um, all that, all that bull. <laughs> Get it? All That's that bull. Terrible. I hate, I hate it. It was a good joke. It was great. It even. was not. <laughs> 15 was minutes not. in. 15 minutes in. Fuck you. 15 minutes in. Bison goes to the top of the cage and hits a flying headbutt on bull, and she connects with it. Um, and then I was just like, hey, I think I could do that. And then she uh she does not do that. She she eats shit and she is severely injured. Um on the tape, you can tell that it's like a shoot injury because like Bull had to stop Monster Ripper from going after her. And like Bull and Aja are supposed to like despise each other, but even Bull's like, Hey, stop stop fucking around, you fuck like don't like don't go after like what the fuck's wrong with you? Like trying to be like, Hey, why the f- like you don't usually see and you see that in the documentary as well, you don't usually see these wrestlers like break K Fabe whatsoever but bull just being like hey don't just stop bro like she's actually dying <laughs> don't yeah, go you near see her it too like the red was like going through yeah. her gear like it was very visible like it was really yeah, it bad was and she had just came back from a, a leg injury and surgery that you know took her out for only like a month and a half she definitely was not ready to come back um but she did and she <laughs> kind of stayed back she, she didn't really go out i don't think um anytime soon after that for an extended period of time at least which is fucking insane uh so Aja ends up being eliminated just because she can no longer compete she screams i can i can wrestle i can go i can go um and again you see in the documentary that like because on the dvd it's all grainy kind of and it's like you know from a hard cam shot for the most part uh, so you hear it and you see it and it's like, oh, that's messed up. But when you actually watch the footage of the close up, it is like it is fucked up. Like it is brutal. Like just the entire thing and her getting escorted to the back on the stretcher. It was just it was all kinds of messed up overall. Um, but with with Kong no longer eligible to compete, this left Bison in a handicap scenario against Bull and Monster Ripper. Um it kind of got I, weird here as well yeah. because the bison almost became the de facto babyface and was getting cheered for her comebacks because like she had these two monsters beating on her for forever um even though she's meant to be the heel and i thought that was just a very strange section of the match yeah i mean and it's this is like the biggest moment that bison ever gets in wrestling is this like five minutes and it was all kind of like like the crowd kind of like deflated as soon as aja got seriously injured so bison just sort of had to make the best of it she did start getting cheered a bit but it was pretty quick that bold and that bull and monster just fucking demolished her and ruined everything <laughs> not ruined everything but just like killed her um to the point where she was no longer moving uh after bull hit a guillotine like drop and monster hit a big body splash um, they eliminate Bison altogether, so that team, Jungle Jack, is completely gone. And so Monster Ripper says, fuck you, I'm, I'm going to beat you up now too. Uh, and they start wrestling. It was Monster Ripper versus Bull Nakano for the 3WA Championship. This is the last, you know, thing, I guess. So 
for context, again, on cage match, it said that the tag match was completely separate from the, from the monster at Purple Nakano match. Mm-hmm. It was not whatsoever. Um, it mm-hmm. literally, the second that Bison was eliminated, it became the singles match. Um, and can, so can we, can we like give credit to Bison? Because <laughs> she sold it like, Yes. Oh, I saw the referee tried to carry her out, and she was like dead legged and everything. I was like, she is committed to this bit. Um, and also, uh, I loved the fit from Bryson Kimura, the jean, the jean jacket, and the jeans. Oh, 100%. Good shit. Um, well, yeah, you may you may continue. I just I wanted to to give credit there to to Bison because I thought it was very. You funny. know what? No, you're right. I I should get a bit more credit to bison i am personally a big bison kimura fan um this year it sort of became clear that uh aja was the 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 big dog in jungle jack and bison was the um slightly smaller dog in jungle jack but i do think that her output this year was incredible and you know i i said it from the jump that it's like oh this is gonna be bison's year she does a lot um and she did do a lot even though it always ended up kind of ending the same way as it did here with her getting hit with the leg drop and knocked unconscious and being carried out um, in a very cool looking outfit. It seemed like that was the the story of her year. Um, but I, I do think that Bison Kimura doesn't get enough love. Um, I think a lot of wrestlers from this era don't get enough love, especially uh, Jungle Jack members. I think it's becoming, um, you know, clear that it's like, yeah, Aja Kong was the star of Jungle Jack, but like, I don't think any member of Jungle Jack was even, like, bad. Like, even, like, the, the rookies of Jungle Jack, even, like, uh, Kiro Ito at this time was in Jungle Jack. Like, she was great. You know, like, and she was, like, very, very inexperienced at this point still. That And, you know, like, obviously, Kamea, like, they Jungle Jack does not get enough love because, obviously, people know about Gokumanto. They know about the Atrocious Alliance that sort of became Gokumanto, but they don't really know much about Jungle Jack outside of it's Aja's group, and they had that one tag match against Bull. Um, against Bull and Grizzly, I mean. So I think people need to put some more respect on Jungle Jack's name, because they did always do great with what they were given, all of them. And yeah, so shout out to them. Uh, thank you for stopping me, because I, I would have gone on without um, spouting my love for Jungle Jack and all of their accomplishments up to this point. Indeed. Yeah, well, that's, yeah, you have to give credit to the Jungle Jack. You added nothing. Um. <laughs> I was I was going to mention that it, it it is really weird how they don't get much um, acclaim, given that you know I always associate the periods of AJW that people know with Dave Meltzer and his ratings because obviously a lot of people use those as kind of a litmus test, but he was fairly generous to the like Jungle Jack in this era, like he gave. For example, like he gave their match with with Bull and Kyoko in a way four and three quarters. He gave the match with Esther and Manami Toyota four and three quarters. Um, he gave the the other Bull and Kyoko match four and a half. Like it's it's weird how he rated their matches highly. Like they have matches rated higher than fucking Kandori and Okuto too, and yet a lot of people haven't seen them, which I find strange because generally if somebody has received kind of that sort of a claim from Dave Meltzer, it will have seeped into some people's consciousness, but I guess maybe because he didn't give those matches five, people don't know them as much, or maybe it's just because it's not Minami Toyota or Akira Hokuto who have kind of lived on 
beyond AJW. Um, but yeah, I do think it's weird how little this era is talking about, given how many highly rated matches it has by somebody with as much sway as Dave Meltzer. I do think as somebody who is a bit newer, I can't really say that anymore because it's been like two years now, but a bit newer to the uh, classic Joshi scene, I think a lot of people see it as 93 was the year that it picked up. So by 93, Bison had just retired. Aja was a world champion. She was more teaming with Bull more often than she was, you know, teaming with anybody else. And even then she wasn't teaming with Bull that often either. Um, and they either associate with 93 to like 95 or they associate with Bull Nakano. And Bull Nakano was the leader of Gokumanto and her, her adversaries were Jungle Jack, but Bull Nakano was the star. So I think that sort of plays into it with like the, the perception of like, okay, everything from 93 on um, until like 95, 96, when Gaia became a thing and when um, Argeon started forming up and a bunch of other sm smaller promotions started jumping up and, you know, got a bit uh, saturated, the market. Um, that those years, 93 to like 96, were the years that everybody pays attention to. Um, so I think 92, 91, when Jungle Jack was truly at their top and on their game, people don't really recognize that as much, which is a shame because, you know, obviously 91, in my opinion, as we um, finish up the year, was not as good as 1990. I still think that there was a lot of great stuff and a lot of it had to do with Jungle Jack. You know, obviously Bull, it was always the star of the show, but Jungle Jack was definitely the best people you could put in the role as her head adversaries. Um, so yeah, shout out to Jungle Jack. Um, now, I guess, I guess we should probably get into uh, the the whole rest of the match that was fun. I mean, I don't know. It was it was just like Battle of Titans who were using weapons and shit. Like it wasn't like Monster Ripper is very limited, as I said before, <laughs> by this point. Um but I mean she has enough size and enough aura that her and Nakano just like trading weapon shots was fairly cool. Um even if it didn't live up to the first part of the match where Jungle Jack were bringing extra chaos. Yeah, and I think that was the main thing is that it didn't feel like there was like enough like unique weapons for it to feel like you know the chaos was there. Um, you know, and I I bring back the the one. Excuse me, this fruit punch is making me gassy. Um, it it brings me back to the cage match at WrestleMania Piad ninety. Was there was so much shit. It was like there was so much shit going on. There was so many weapons. There was like every second there was a new weapon in somebody's hand and they were fucking murdering the other one with it. And it was great. And then it all led up to the finish. Um, whereas this one, it sort of felt like they were just like trying to find like weapons and like use them properly. And it was just it was a bit more clumsy, um, which, you know, Monster Ripper, like you said, is a bit more limited. Um, but on her game is quite good. I do think that the. Uh, the Ripper versus Bull match from earlier in the year was better than this little end segment, which is strange because mm -hmm. usually Bull's matches are just heightened in the cage. I feel like she, like I said, she's the queen of the cage match. She's like one of the best cage match wrestlers of all time. So, I mean, that, that might've taken away from it a bit, but overall I thought it was fun. Um, and eventually it, it ends in the most fitting fashion, which is of course Bull going to the top hitting the guillotine leg drop from the top of the cage, third time she's ever done it, and she eliminates Monster Ripper and deems herself the last woman standing and still 3WA World Women's Champion. Uh, 
yeah, a bunch of pyro goes off. Monster Ripper starts screaming. She's like, I'm still the real world champion. I'm still the real. And then she like gets, you know, booed out of the building. Oh, yeah, title um, for title. We'll do title for title. And I was like, you do know, they ever wrestle ever again? I don't believe so. Like um, maybe sure in the WWF? off to Mexico. <laughs> like I'm pretty sure she fucks off to Mexico. Um, let's see. And Apparently she wrestled Hokuto eventually. in November. The day after WrestleMania, Marine she wrestled Akira Hokuto. But uh, no match with Nakano. No singles match with Nakano that I can see anyway. So so it was the Kelly Klein Joning Oedo tie of this. I, I see. Yeah, I think it was probably just that like maybe. She they wanted to set up another Bertha Faye, or not Bertha Faye, uh, Monster Ripper match. Yeah. Um, they wanted to set up the match, and then maybe Monster Ripper was like, well, fuck no, I'm not losing. So they were like, okay, then go fuck off to Mexico, because that's where she spends the next three years is uh, AAA, so. Oh. Yeah. Um, so, no more Monster Ripper. Um, it was fun while it lasted, but she kept her heat after the match, yelling title for title while getting booed out of the building. And, uh, yeah, Bull continues to cement her status as... I hated that, by the way. I what? despise that, her, because the visual of um Kano standing tall with the smoke coming out of the cage and, uh, you know, all that sort yeah, of stuff, it was, it was cool. really cool. And then you just have fucking Monster Ripper having to get her heat back, shouting over as, ah, title for title, I, I'm the real champion. I was like, can you not just let the ace of the promotion have her moment? But no, apparently not. And um, I don't know Dude, what... Dude, imagine, uh... <laughs> imagine if at WrestleMania, like, Triple H just got in the mic after Roman Reigns beat him or whatever, and was like, no, I demand a rematch, like, and, like, actively, like, like... Like, because, like, obviously, like, they'll, like, talk shit or whatever, but, like, after the match and just, like, actively making a whole thing about, I mean, w, like, WWE's done worse, trust me, but it's just really funny, like, when you think about it, like, a normal ending of a huge show, nah, I'm just gonna yell into the mic and keep my heat. Yeah, well, I mean, to be fair, she was, she was very old school, I, I get, I get the mentality, you know, of, uh, keeping your heat, making yourself look good, but, um, I definitely, if I was AJW, I'd have been like, listen, this is our moneymaker. You fuck off. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, you know, it didn't really matter. And Akano got on the microphone and she yelled at her and people cheered. She got a big pop for winning as well, Nakano. I thought that was very cool. This was, I remember like going through when I watched this match, this is when I realized, okay, Paul is the babyface hero now. Because like she got such a big reaction to, to the win. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I I agree. Yeah, she's just the god now. That's where she's at. Uh, and she stays the god for like another year around. Um, even though I don't think she would she defends the belt much over the next year, uh, if at all. Yeah, like know. maybe like once or twice, which is a bit strange. There's another Kong match, <laughs> and there's an yeah. Akira match definitely in there somewhere. But was it for the belt? I would assume so. Actually, I don't think so, because I think she loses, so, no. Yeah, because Hokuto wins that match, yeah. That's what I mean. She wins by over the cage, though. So, I mean, like, but still, like, yeah, she, yeah, she loses that match. Hurry win, like, because, uh, uh, yeah, like, Bull don't lose clean. <laughs> exactly. But, yeah, so now, like, we'll, we'll see what Bull does for the next year, because I don't really remember. Like, I know that the, the Hokuto stuff pops off, but... 
that's more of a Hokuto thing than a uh, bowl thing. But that's besides the point. We'll, we'll get into that when we get into that. Now we have a little bit of an extra, as I've been talking about and I've been alluding to this entire time. There is a French documentary episode. Um, it's not a documentary. It's like an episode of a TV show about AJW. Um, and it, it just covers some tour shows from the fall and it climaxes Russell Marine Piad. Uh, have you ever watched this before or, or was this your first time viewing it? First time, yeah. Yeah, first time? Okay. Because um, I'm very new to the world of Joshi documentaries. I've only ever seen the Wrestlers episode, which I personally love. Um, and even that sort of had like a, a depressing aspect of it. Uh, I've realized that Joshi wrestling is a very depressing thing. And nobody is in it uh, except for people who either were miserable, are miserable, or is like, I don't know. Yeah, I think that's it. Like that's it's, it's it's a real island of misfit toys. Even yeah. like stardom, like Mayu Otani is, is mm-hmm. a classic case there. She like didn't leave her house for three years and then her brother or something took her to Dragon Gate and she was like, I'm going to run away and be a wrestler. And you're just like, all right, cool. Um, and that, that was the case for a lot of them, I think. Is that, I mean, like, she wrestling. didn't win for like a year. She was called yeah. the runt. Like she, was, like she wasn't bullied necessarily, but like she did not have an easy time early on either. Like, and it's, it's yeah, Joshi Wrestling's like, I mean, and then I was talking about it before, I'd never seen it before and I still haven't seen it. I'm kind of scared to watch it through its entirety. But Gaia Girls is just like fucking massively depressing from everything I've seen, <laughs> especially considering the context of the, the main girl that they were talking about uh, retired like two years later. Um, it yeah. Joshi so Wrestling fair, though, is just... I think some ahead. of the Gaia Girls thing was played up for the, the cameras. I remember... Yeah, for sure. Rio Mizunami did a podcast and she was asked about it and she was like, yeah, I'd seen the videos and like I was very wary, but like when I went there, it was nowhere near as bad. So I, I think some of it was put on for the cameras, just like it was here in some ways. Like this documentary definitely felt like the filmmaker was being worked a little bit and wanted to tell like a very biased story. Um, and you kind of see some of the negatives shine through. But a lot of it is like a full-on work, um, which I think some of Gaia Girls was too. Yeah, it's it's. I think that's that's definitely the case. And it's funny in comparison to the again, like cause I'm I'm basing my knowledge of uh, Joshi documentaries off of three specific things. It's this Gaia Girls and um, the Wrestlers, right? In the Wrestlers, Kagetsu is like the nicest trainer of all time. Like she, like it is the most wholesome. <laughs> like you are watching it and you're like, this is the most wholesome dojo I have ever seen in my entire life. Mm-hmm. So it's funny that there was that report that Kagetsu was a monster of a trainer because that's just like obviously again, working the cameras is a very big thing in Japan and in you know Joshi, but like I don't know that it's just very funny to me. Um, but we, we should probably stop talking about everything else and all the other documentaries and just get into this one. Um, like Alex said, it sort of like starts with like knowing that they're getting worked. Like the friend, like the people who are making this documentary are definitely getting worked. It starts kind of with like a, an intro that's about, you know, knowledge and, you know, cultures and all that shit. So it kind of speaks to how influential and big 
Joshi wrestling was to the culture of Japan in the early 90s, um, that a random French TV show about cultures around the world um, and that had nothing to do with wrestling, just sort of like pinpointed it and like dived into it. And yeah, so like I said, they were kind of kayfabed here. Um, the, 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 I don't know what you would call him, the host. He says, yeah. these women uh, get the hell beat out of them. They're forced to cut their hair, which part is partially true, but not in the way that he said it. He's kind of being like, oh, and it's humiliating after you lose a match and have to cut your hair. Um, and it's like, no, they just made you cut their hair, your hair or you'd be fired. It was very different. Um, <laughs> that's entirely a different story. Um, and then he also says, they do not get paid when they lose. Which, like, is just not true. Like, and if it is true, then that's like, that's not, like, it's not true. You know what I mean? Like, that, that's just not how wrestling yeah. works. They also so they were clearly... embellish, they also really embellish the, the earnings of the top ones as well. They're like, oh, Bull Nakano makes all of this money, and, and Aja Kong makes all this money, and I'm pretty sure... It wasn't, like... it actually, it wasn't that much money. Yeah. Because well, I, I, I have, the, I have the notes... That, I uh, still think it's a bit embellished because I know Bull Nakano in an interview like last year was like, yeah, when I went to WWF, they're paying me like 10 times what I made in AJW as champion. And I was like, hmm, it's not great. No, I think that's <laughs> I think that's accurate. No, I think that's accurate because okay. uh, the the conversions, basically it starts with the payout of three wrestlers specifically. Um, they say Bull Nakano gets paid roughly $450 per match. Um of American money, I mean. And then Minami Toyota gets paid 200 hours per match, and Aja Kong gets paid 275 per match. Which, considering they wrestle, like, twice a week, three times a week even, like, that's a relatively normal pay for, like, what I would expect out of this. Um, like, I, like Bull getting paid 450 per match, that makes sense to me. Like, I'm, like, considering she was the star of the show, that sounds like it makes sense. Also, a lot of it um, just plays into the... Uh, how long you've been in the company. So Aja was in for a year longer than Toyota. So she got paid $75 more, you know, just like stuff like that. I don't think that they really embellish that that much. And if anything, I think that they probably get paid a bit more or a bit more flexibly um, than the way that they sort of played off. Cause like, I imagine Bull gets paid like at least a couple dollars more for a cage match than she does for, you know, a tag match in Sendai with 20 people there. Uh, not 20, you go, I mean. Um, but, so yeah, they, they'd say the earnings, which is interesting, even though it might have been a bit kayfabe like we talked about before. Um, do you do you have anything to say about the early parts of this before I, I keep talking, because I need to take a sip of my drink, because I've been talking a lot. Um, no, I was just trying to find the quote from Bull Nakano. She, she just said that she made 13 times more in WWE than for AJW. Um, so you know, take that for for what it is. I do think that the all of their stuff about like the low entry pay for rookies is true and probably still holds true. Um, yeah, I know historically the entry pay for the Joshi wrestling has been pretty horrendous. Well, yeah, because and it's it's a, a testament to like the difference of American and Japanese is that in America you pay as a trainee to get into a dojo or to get into a training center, whereas in Japan. They pay you, but they also make you work, and they also treat you like shit, and they also don't pay you almost anything. So it's like that—that's sort of the the contrast there between American and Japanese is that you don't have to pay to go to to the training, but uh, 
you're you're not going to get paid a lot, and also uh, you're going to die. Um, that's that's sort of the way that dojos work. Obviously, I'm I'm being hyperbolic. They uh, don't seem that bad. On uh, most of the girls seem like they're pretty. Not that they're treated well, but they're not treated poorly, except for Akemi, which we'll get into later. Very depressing story. Um, and yeah, a lot of this documentary was just sort of depressing. Not because anything was inherently depressing, but just because like you realize that this is just the life of a professional wrestler. And this is a life of a professional wrestler who signed to a company who is the biggest in their field. And you, you hear things from Bull, like she doesn't have a, any personal life. She, this is the first time she's talked to somebody who's not a wrestler or in wrestling in like years, she says, other than her family. And then she talks about her age and she says, and I'll, I'll quote this, you know, I'm 23 years old. I'm an old person. I'd like to keep going until I'm 30, seeing as they've raised the age limit a bit. But I don't know if I can do it staying here. I might break down. They expect a lot out of me. And, like, you know that. As a wrestling fan, you know all those things are true. And as a Joshi wrestling fan specifically. But the way that she says it, very, like, yeah, this is just how it is, it almost breaks you as a as a viewer. Because it's like, damn, that's just, like, that's just her reality. And that's the reality of a lot of wrestlers. And I was like, I'm kind of sad now. And it just kept getting sadder as the time <laughs> went on, I'm going to be honest. It's especially the company that they're in. Um, yeah. Like, I know AJW eventually got rid of the 25 rule and was like, you know, we're not going to force you all to retire, but they very much, it was very much, we may not force you to retire at 25, but we're going to break you by 25, and you will retire anyway. Yeah. That's always the vibe I got. Like, their schedule is hellacious, the matches are crazy, and it takes a toll, especially when you start so young. It's like, I thought it was crazy. Like, when Bull Nakano said, I'm 23, I'm old. I was like, I'm yeah. 23. <laughs> like, I, right now, you are I'm old. 23. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, but I was like, that's just insane. But in terms of AJW, that is, you know, two years away from retirement uh, for most people. And also, that is eight years of wear and tear of their very hectic schedule on your body so i can kind of understand what she meant and i don't think it's probably the same now where a wrestler is there for eight years and they're like yes my body is breaking down um but uh, it, i mean it's definitely a, I mean, a sign of the times more than anything i think nowadays wrestlers probably have it a lot easier um and we also know a lot more about the benefits of of recovering and giving people rest because obviously stardom or any Josh company would never think to run the schedule that AJW did, you know. Yeah, um, she she did mention that they raised the limit to thirty, so she could yeah. theoretically wrestle to thirty. But uh, which I didn't know. I thought that they just did away with the limit. But I guess thirty mm-hmm. sort of makes sense. Um, that they you know just just to be safe, even though most are still retiring by twenty six, twenty seven. Uh. And yeah, from there, there's just some like, you know, house show stuff. They talk about their uh, their idea of, you know, the way that they market, um, that they go to the smallest towns possible who are dying for some type of entertainment, uh, you know, places that don't have, you know, as many TVs or, you know, like not they don't have TVs, but just places that are a bit more like 
craving something to excite them they go there and they just fucking like abuse that and i mean that's a very smart especially for the 90s that was a very smart uh idea and a very smart marketing tactic i don't think it would work anymore because i feel like you know if somebody's in the rural area they're there because they want to be there and they don't necessarily need to be you know and excited every month because they get nothing else. They probably have some type of TV or, you know, just the advances of electricity and all that other bullshit that I don't feel like getting into here. But they talk about that and how that's a, a very smart way to do business. They also, um, the French commentated about how there are many Yakuza hanging out, but the boss doesn't want to be filmed. And I was like, these motherfuckers are going to get killed. Like, like they're just fucking around. <laughs> they're like, "Oh, look, there's the Yakuza boss. He doesn't want to be filmed." Ha ha. It's like you're you're gonna like you're gonna get murdered, like that. Like that's it. You're not far from getting hurt severely. Um, but it does sort of uh cement that that thinking that Yakuza uh Yakuza organizations had a stranglehold on wrestling venues. Um, blah blah blah. Uh, Bull is cool. There's a lot of the famous shots you see of Bull, like on the internet, of her just like doing things are from this documentary. So her going from the ring, going through a crowd of insane fans, and immediately sitting down at the merch table and signing autographs, like right out of her fucking hellacious match, that was taken here. Um, mm-hmm. the the scene of Bull playing Mario while while Kira Hokuto takes care of her dogs, most wholesome shit ever. Uh, that was also here. Uh, briefly, Shinji Ueda, the president of AJW, talks highly of Takako Inoue and Saki Hasegawa as they uh, take, you know, footage of the um, the training back at the AJW dojo. Again, it looks hellacious as you know dojo um, practice is, but it doesn't look as you know it wasn't as worked as something like Gaia Girls, where it's like, oh, they're just they're just killing this person. Um, it was a bit more just like you know. Uh, grinding ring work people yeah away. yeah a lot of grinding people away crazy. to prove that they're there's something um but yeah so early early shout to takako noe and saki asagawa they both obviously become a bit uh more popular and they obviously had the eyes of the president of ajw so that's a good sign early on um and then we get to akemi would you like to talk My about God. this because like i i don't want to <laughs> like i'll talk yeah. about it but i don't want to <laughs> Oh, because this is bad. Like it's they they mentioned later on that they didn't recruit her the normal way. They wanted specifically somebody to fight Bat Yoshinaga, so they took her. So she wasn't like trained the normal way. She wasn't recruited the normal way, and you could tell that because she didn't pan out, they didn't like her, and so they used her as the training dummy, and she would just you know she was getting tossed a hundred times. Or more, and obviously she's you know she was a bit bigger, so obviously it's probably harder to carry her. And she herself was inexperienced and not trained as a wrestler, so they were just very much like, well, if she gets seriously injured, don't care. You know what I mean? And it always kind of felt a bit weird about Teresu because like they would put her out there in all these shoot fights against more experienced, trained fighters, and she would just get the shit beat out of her. And now you see that they genuinely didn't care about her well-being. Like, if she... I feel like they wanted her to either quit or get seriously hurt and forced to retire. That's that's the vibe I get, is that they did not care if she was okay or not. Like, they were... 
they made a decision on a whim to take her in and then were like, yeah, well, she didn't really beat that Yoshinaga, so she's of no use to us. So it was like, like having her as a training dummy, as they called her, the training dummy, is so irresponsible and dangerous. And you can just tell by the way they spoke about her and the way they booked her that like they, they just didn't care if she got hurt and they were probably hoping that she did so they wouldn't have to deal with her. Yeah, it, and it was kind of fucked because, like, one element of it was uh, Hokuto, Bull, and somebody else was in a room, and Akemi came to them, and Bull was like, "She needs new socks because she can't be she can't be walking around with no socks or like something of this, like shoes or something." And Akemi looked at them like they just were the nicest that she's ever been treated. And I was like, "That is terrible," like <laughs> that, like that. You know, you're co-workers are like offering to you know buy you shoes or something because you don't get paid anything you get beat up every day and you're a public figure to a degree so you need to look you know presentable and that's like like she just smiled like that was the nicest thing anybody had ever said to her and i was like that's terrible um also there are like shots like there's like um b-roll of her on the bus with bruises from her mma fights and all that shit just terrible honestly it, it really like I don't know. I'm I'm a sadistic guy, but this even like kind of disgusted me. You know what I mean? Like it it just it was gross. Um, yeah, especially from AJW, a company where there are wrestlers on record saying some things about their treatment of trainees. Like, and even if you dive deeper into some things, like I remember, I think Gunt Matsumoto was like infamously like really nice to her juniors, and some of the other senior wrestlers were like, "What the fuck are you doing?" Like, why are you being nice to them? Stop it. Um, so, yeah, I think there's... It's just, yeah, it's not good at all. Um, yeah, I mean, it's nice to know the bull was kind of nice, at least. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, seeing as she was, you know, the, the junior of Dump, I imagine that some of that probably rubbed off on her. Um, oh, yeah. Of just not being a, a piece of shit. Uh, which, you know, I feel like a lot of this, this documentary did focus on bull, and her i don't want to say her her mental issues but like just her mental fatigue a lot um and we we see it a lot when she goes and has dinner with her family which we'll talk about a little bit later um but first we have to talk about Minami Toyota's family who she uh this this like it got dark really quickly i'm gonna be honest like that akemi stuff and then this Minami Toyota stuff and then aja stuff like it gets really dark really quick so um first the the akemi stuff where she's getting you know just demolished and just being treated really terribly and then we get to minami toyota who um her family comes to a show by her family i mean her her dad and her sister and uh they come to a show and they interview her dad and he says that i fucking hate wrestling um i think it's disgusting i think it's street fighting but i have to remember that's just what she does and then they get to the point where they talk about her mother and um, her and her father go to her mother's grave. And Toyota sort of talks about how her mother was the only one who supported her wrestling. So after her mother died, her family was demolished. And they just, their relationship was nothing. And again, like with the with the whole, you know, documentary crew kind of being very biased in a way. They kind of said some shit here that I was like, that's distasteful. You don't say that to like a subject of your documentary where it's like, 
her family is completely destroyed and she has no love for them anymore. I was like, did she say that? That's a <laughs> like that's that's a weird voiceover line from a random French dude. But yeah, that's that's where Manamatoda is at that point. And uh it's really fucked. And then then we get into Aja Kong also telling her story about her family and how her uh her mom died um when she was 17 and her father abandoned her when she was 5 who he moved to New York and she said that her goal is to become super famous and go to America where she can um meet her estranged father uh because he has to know what she looks like and dude this entire thing was just and like when i saw that i was like shit that was heavy and i paused it and then being stupid I looked up like Aja Kong family and there was another documentary. Mm -hmm. It was like seven minutes mm -hmm. long. Also depressing. It was from a couple years ago. Also, gonna, like, it made me that. way more depressed. I was like, that made it worse. <laughs> it did not get better. No. Oh man, it was she, rough. Didn't she go on like the Japanese version of like, who do you think you are or whatever it is to like search for him and she, she could never find him. It's, it's, really I didn't, sad. I didn't see that. I saw something different. Uh, All right. Yeah. I saw I'm one that was sure... about, she I'm, talked I'm, about the abuse her mom. It was oh my god. It oh yeah, because like, I wrote about like her her issues with racism before. I did a lot of uh, mm -hmm. a lot of research into it. Like her her mother was like almost ostracized from the family for for daring to sleep with a, a man of color who was American and stuff like that. Like she had a very tough time, and then she went on a TV show, I believe, to try and find her dad. And it didn't work out, so I don't think she ever actually met him, which is is very heartbreaking. And he did. Uh, he he passed at some point. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it was it was a lot. All of this was a lot. Um, but after that, we kind of get worked, and I was kind of missing getting worked. Uh, so Aja Kong and Bull Nakano talk about how they prepare for their. Um, big match and how much they despise each other and how much Bull wants to preserve her name and how, you know, all of that stuff. And I'm just like, thank you for for making me feel a little bit less depressed for a second of and just getting to see Bull play Pachinko for a bit um, and see Aja like try on fashion. Uh, like, you know, like, I guess she was, it would be like thrifting. Like she was just going around thrifting shit and stuff. And I was like, that was nice for those three minutes. And then we get to see Aja get injured severely in the WrestleMania match. And it is very bad. Um, yeah, it, it went back to depressing very quickly. <laughs> yeah. oh, Even man. the documentary makers knew because they were like, <laughs> when it happened, they were like, this was all avoidable. And I was like, yeah, like this, like, dude, they should we let her go out there. They, they probably told her to go out there and wrestle that match and do the performance coming off a of surgery. And they like risked her life. Like, yeah. you know, what happened to her is not normal at all. Like, that was very, very bad. And it was, it's on there. It was on their time. Even, like, even. I know, oh, I know we shouldn't say this, but I'm so glad what happened to the Matsunaga brothers because they, they just so clearly had no care for, for the lives of these people. Uh, like, Rossi Ogawa cares about the wrestlers more than any official in the company. This is not even disrespecting Rossi, but we all know Rossi. I feel like we this, um, yeah. I know we didn't mention it here, but there's a Dump Matsumoto show come Netflix. I don't think that's what they're going to aim to do. I imagine they'll go for it's glow. there if they want it. Like a Japanese glow type of thing, just a bit. Like mm -hmm. in that 
like because glow had so many issues and i haven't watched the entire series i imagine they touch on the issues but like the the glow series is more like oh glow sounded cool like that that sounds like a cool premise more so than yeah. like this is fucking disgusting and why do women wrestle because that is terrible when in actuality glow had a lot of mm-hmm. problems very clear problems sure. um so i imagine it'll go more for that audience more than like the uh dark sides of the ring but in drama form audience yeah. if that makes sense excited for it either way i know we didn't talk about it but yeah that that is coming and it is super exciting because I'm, I'm so ready to watch that in other news um also pertaining to the endangerment of all of these women in this wonderful company um bon Licano hit that hit that big guillotine from the top of the cage everybody loves it um including me i think it is incredible to watch it's like just astounding um but when you hear her talk about it she mentions how um before she did the first one she was told you're gonna get paralyzed don't do that and she did it you know the first time she did it and then they were told you're lucky that your tailbone isn't broken don't do that again she did it two more times in fact three more times um because there's one that we have not seen yet that happens next year um and bowl says i gotta put on a show i gotta do what i gotta do to defeat my opponent and i don't think we have time to unpack all of that but jesus christ <laughs> like it just keeps getting worse when you actually think about it um past that past russell marine piad um oh yeah they also dip into the fact that debbie malenko was not getting paid for that night because she lost which is kind of funny like they they got like the most random b-roll of her just like tired after the match and they're like she's depressed because she will be homeless <laughs> i was like i don't think that's i don't okay um yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's just funny to me um after wrestlemania piad uh bowl goes to see her family um they also show the the actual restaurant that HW runs, which, um, you know, houses a lot of the recently retired wrestlers and also the trainees and all that stuff. Um, I would have loved to go to that restaurant. That sounds really interesting, to say the least. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, obviously, let's not talk about human rights, but, you know, it sounds fun. Um, and, yeah, they also talk about mini wrestlers and how they weren't exploited, for sure. Um, the, the, <laughs> the president of HW was very quick to be like, they aren't being exploited. Trust me. We're feeding them. They're, they're, they're getting paid. We're not exploiting them. And I was like, uh, okay. Um, and then they just get to to the last few minutes of the documentary. Uh, Bull has dinner with her family and her father shows some childhood footage of Bull. And Bull looks very uh, just distraught almost. Um, just like, just completely out of it at that point. And they sort of like flashed that together with a bunch of just um, like videos of her wrestling and how like that's like the the goal was that wrestling has corrupted her um even though that's not necessarily how that you know i don't think that was i think that was very liberal uh <laughs> liberal use of creative direction by the documentary crew <laughs> um yeah and then after that they just got into some like how this impacts the real world and they get into uh how the popularity of amateur wrestling in japan amongst women um grew from there and even now there are you know 
many, many gold medal medalists in amateur wrestling from women. And back then there were none. Uh, so that that's huge. And like just other stuff like that, they get into Dump Matsumoto's retirement and how she was happy to not have to wrestle for AJW ever again. That was so weird, wasn't it? Like yeah. she was like, I never, like she was like, I want to wrestle again. Never in Japan, never here. This place sucks. And I was like, that is, that is nuts. Yeah. Um, I think she specifically met her company or with AJW. That's how it sounded. Like, obviously she said Japan, but like, I feel like, especially at that point, there were no other companies other than JWP. And I don't think she would go to JWP anyway. Um, yeah. It's that weird was though, like... she, she did go back to AJW. She's there in oh, like shit. 03 she? and shit, isn't she? Yeah, I think she's like back before. Well, by 03, it's kind five. of, it's kind of died. Yeah, it, I, I don't think it's even remotely the same company by then, even though it kind of is, yeah. but you know, uh, just post post exodus and pre exodus are completely different and especially into the 2000s in my opinion but yeah yeah so that uh, that was the that was it and then they sort of talk about how like there are so many people yeah bull nakano exists yeah dump matsumoto exists yeah manami toyota is getting up there but like most women just don't make it and they just ruin their bodies for nothing um and that was the goal of the of the document documentary was uh why do they do it because they're stupid and want to be stars and i think that's a bit reductive but at the same time it's kind of true for for some cases um yeah. my, my final thought was that this felt like a dark sides of the ring that was happening that was recorded while it was happening um it could have been way worse but it it definitely was just like like there were certain bits where you just felt very uncomfortable where it's like damn this is just like this is what joshi is especially at this time period um but it was also fun to see bull hang out and just do like her normal things and be in her natural state in a way um it was very she just seems like a cool person yeah i mean it it was so weird it felt like they were trying to do a smear piece and then somehow managed to miss all of the actual bad stuff and instead got yeah. worked and smeared the fake stuff um so yeah it was like I, I almost like that's that's probably the most respectable thing about this entire thing is that AJW was just like, yeah, <laughs> we're about to make y'all look like dorks. Oh man, that was that, that's pretty funny. I, I'll give it to them. Yeah, I don't know. It was uh, it was an interesting one. I think that the thing is that like the worst parts were what the wrestlers and even the staff just considered normal, and that really yeah. showed a lot about the environment of the company. Um, and I think that was almost more smearing than some of the nonsense of, oh, this, yeah, if you lose, you don't get paid. And Manama Toyota has a small apartment because she is a mid-carder. And I was like, no, she probably has a small apartment because she's never fucking there. Like, she doesn't yeah, need and it. Also, like, you look at that apartment, that's like, it's not a normal apartment in Japan, but it's not a small, like, Japan just has small apartments, bro. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's like, it. She doesn't like, that's, need a massive it yeah, She's exactly. On the road all the time. Like, why would you need a massive apartment? You're on the road. Which, if they dived into that, that could have been a very fair criticism. Mm -hmm. Is that it's like, mm -hmm. oh, they're always on the road. What the fuck? But no, it's just, oh, she has a small house. And it's like, that's, uh, yeah. So do I. Like, I don't, like, I don't get it. Like, <laughs> so do a lot of people in Japan. It's just, it's, it was a weird direction. But I'm happy that they did it because it was an interesting insight into what AJW is, because I feel like Joshi is very um, smart and very selective with when they allow their doors to be opened even a little bit. 
um, obviously everybody kept kayfabe here, but even a bit, you know, a bit of like, oh, well, this is like, uh, there, there isn't a lot of intimate views of AJW um, in this sense. So it was, it was fun to see for sure, even though there was a lot of uh, baggage to it overall. Um, Alex, do you have anything to, to say before we close the show? I do not for once. That's crazy, man. Um, neither do I actually. Ne- next month we will, or this month, I guess it's yeah, it's already December. I apologize, we're late, um, as always. It's it's kind of a tradition at this point. Um, so whenever <laughs> we record next, we will be talking about December in AJW and in FMW and maybe WP. I don't know if we, maybe I don't know. We'll be doing some year-end stuff probably as well. Uh, I haven't really decided on anything, but that's what the plan is um, off the top of my head. Please come back. Uh, we will miss you if you do not. And yeah, thank you for listening. Obviously, we have Stardom Quest every week talking about stardom and the modern world of Joshi wrestling, the new Joshi meta, if you will. Um, and we, we talk about that every week. We just recorded that before this. So if we sounded a bit tired, it's because we just it's it's been a long day for us. But uh, thank you for listening. And um, in my opinion, I think personally that what you should do immediately after I stop talking right now is tell your mom, tell your dad, tell your uncle. Tell your grandma, tell your great grandma, tell your great 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 grandma, tell your newborn niece, I love you, easy E, so so much. Tell everybody you fucking know that Victory Through Guts is the best classic Joshi wrestling podcast in the biz. Ijo matane arrivederci.